KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were my husband. You must be Sergeant Angel. Yes, I am. I'm Joyce Cooper. I trust you had a pleasant trip. Fascist. I beg your pardon? System of government characterized by extreme dictatorship. Seven across. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. I know. Today's show is dedicated to a serious topic. But I have to confess that ever since Hot Fuzz came out, this is what first comes to mind when I hear the word fascist. I'm Beth Accomando, and welcome to listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. So today's podcast stems in part from seeing a survey that came out last month stating that two-thirds of young American adults don't know that six million Jews were killed during the Holocaust. Plus, a quarter of respondents believed that the Holocaust was either a myth or had been exaggerated. The survey was conducted by the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany, or the Claims Conference. So this got me thinking about that old adage, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. During subsequent surfing on the internet that day, I also came across an article entitled, Donald Trump is no Mussolini, but liberal democracy could still be in danger. I was intrigued by that title and by the fact that it was written in 2016. And the author, Kimber Quinney, teaches history at Cal State University, San Marcos, which is near me. So today, Cinema Junkie offers a history lesson and takes a look at Italian films that explore fascism in Italy in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s in order to see if there are any lessons to be learned. I've always felt that people pay too little attention to history and what it can teach us, but I also feel that pop culture, and film specifically, can help us discover history in ways that can be effective because they use narrative to engage us. People may resist learning about the dates and historical significance of important treaties or wars, but mainstream audiences have embraced films such as Judgment at Nuremberg, Schindler's List, and Twelve Years a Slave, all of which expose us to aspects of history through very personal stories. So as someone who's currently experiencing concerns and anxiety over the future of democracy in the U.S., I wanted to talk to Quinny about what she thought Italy in the 1930s and 40s might be able to teach us today, and what films might help us appreciate those lessons. I've also invited Antonio Iannotta, Artistic Director of the San Diego Italian Film Festival, to weigh in on both a historic and artistic assessment of the films. I need to take one quick break, and then I'll be back with my interview with Kimber Quinney from Cal State San Marcos. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. I like to look at movies from a point of view where you put them into a context that makes them a little more interesting. So I know that usually I have people on Cinema Junkie who are film experts or filmmakers, 
But today, I am interested in having a historian, a professor of history at Cal State San Marcos, to talk about uh, Italian films that reflect a certain period of time when fascism was rising in Italy. So, Kimber, before we start talking about films, I want people to understand what your particular field of study is. Sure. Thanks. Thank you, Beth. Thanks for uh, engaging this morning in this conversation. I'm looking very much looking forward to sharing some of my ideas with you. Uh, I am Assistant Professor of History at Cal State San Marcos, and my field is the history of U.S. foreign relations. So I'm very interested in the ways in which the United States relates to the rest of the world. Obviously, at the moment, <laughs> that's, there's a lot to talk about in that regard. But as an historian, of course, uh, looking at the trajectory of American foreign relations from the start, I teach about the history of the presidency as, as well. So I count myself as a political historian. Uh, but my focus is U.S.-Italian relations. That's my doctoral research. And I'm particularly interested in the ways in which Italians resisted fascism, so the resistance movement. But also, I listen very carefully to the voices of Italian refugees who were forced to flee fascism, uh, many of whom came to the United States and, and wrote a lot about the Italian fascist experience. So, so that's my background. And the reason I came across your name and wanted to invite you on the show is that I found an article on the internet that you had written in 2016, and it was titled, Donald Trump is no Mussolini, but liberal democracy could still be in danger. And that really intrigued me. So first of all, what prompted you to write that article? 2016 seems like a long time ago now for all of us, so thanks for asking about it. And let me just point out first and foremost, and as an historian, I, I'm hesitant to use the word fascism to describe contemporary politics, either globally or in, in the United States. And, and that's because in my mind, Italian uh, fascism originated in Italy in a specific place in a specific time, 1922. And what became Mussolini's version of fascism was very different to Hitler's version of Nazism. And in, in my mind, to the dictatorial regimes that we're seeing in the 21st century. So I, I want to be really frank about that part of it. Um, the scholars that I look at and that I quote in the article, uh, Max Ascoli and Gaetano Salvamini, warned Americans to be aware of the potential threat of fascism and the conditions that give rise to it. And, and that sort of more systemic perspective, I, I think, uh, is relevant. But I also, as I point out in the article, I also want to learn from history, obviously, and from the Italian case in particular. And there are some trends in Italy in the 1920s that gave rise to fascism that resonate. And that's, that's what I focus on in the article. And now we are four years later, facing another election. And I'm just wondering how you feel right now, having written that article and kind of referencing history, and what do you see that maybe we need to be kind of looking at? Sadly, I think the conditions that the Italians uh, at the time in the 1930s warned about um, are, are similar to those that we're experiencing uh, in 2020. And in particular, one of the messages that the, the, the refugee scholars brought with regard to the Italian experience was that uh, fascism thrives in chaos. Fascism thrives in conflict. And so ultimately in the Italian case, there, the breaking down of the national community came uh, in pieces, but resulted in, in, in the harassment of Italian citizens in, in a sense of panic and fear among Italians. And, and they were reduced to, to craving stability. In other words, the conflict and the divisions became so 
deep and experienced at such an individual level that ultimately Italians craved what, what Ascoli calls, quote, the fascist peace. And I fear uh, uh, we're living in this environment where, where we're feeling bombarded and unsettled and insecurities and divisions are, are, are increasing daily. And I fear that that kind of burden uh, is, is bad for democracy. Italian fascism was not caused by a coup or a revolution. And it wasn't, as, as some of the scholars that I study, the refugee scholars I study, it, it wasn't, quote, reactionary in any regard whatsoever. In fact, it really came into being through bureaucracy, through, through democratic legislation that existed in the state in Italy. And so it was implemented through democratic structures. And in fact, the fascist state leveraged laws and took advantage of democracy in Italy in order to push forward a, a very illiberal, undemocratic regime. So Mussolini used democratic tools to empty the nation of democratic goals. And I, and I think that's important to be reminded that the system in which any given ideology is functioning is really important for us to pay attention to. So one of the refugees that you studied or whose work came up is Max Ascoli. And you sent me some notes you had, and he had a really interesting quote, I thought, about what he described as the fascist technique. And I wonder if you can elaborate on that. I've been reading a lot of Max Ascoli's writings. He was very prolific in his writing. So it's a gift to historians when the voices of those who experience whatever we're looking at left, tell us a lot about it. And so um, thank you for acknowledging uh, Max Ascoli. Ascoli was a Jewish Italian refugee, um, and he describes this technique of intentionally and strategically creating constant social unrest, endless political insecurity, and, and he describes it as, quote, the cost of politics. What, what he suggests is that the fascist regime was very uh, focused in its efforts to break down a sense of national community. And, and the result is was of panicked individuals feeling harassed, feeling burdened by the divisions between and among them. And ultimately, according to Ascoli, Italians were reduced to being in conflict. And as a consequence, this cost, the cost of politics, as he describes it, reached an, an unendurable level. And ultimately, Italians were ready to accept what, what Ascoli called the, quote, fascist peace, to just have stability, to accept Mussolini's regulations, those who did accept them. Obviously, Ascoli and other anti-fascists were forced to flee, but those who stayed in Italy just, just craved stability, political stability, ultimately. Can you talk a little bit about the role that the press played in all this and in, in the lead up to fascism in Italy? Uh, Mussolini was a journalist. So what's interesting about Mussolini's background is that he was very clever and well-versed well at using the press to, to his advantage. And uh, that's not coincidental, I think, in the way in which uh, he managed to do that. Authoritarian regimes thrive on falsehoods and conspiracy theories. And we witnessed this in the Italian case. So not only was the press censored, and of course the fascist regime worked very hard to get certain messages out to the Italian people, but it was also skewed, it was also exaggerated. It was also manipulated to create, again, as Ascoli would, would call it, the, the, the cost or the burden of, of, of politics that were multiplied by the messages that the Italian uh, fascist regime put out to the Italian people. Conspiracy theories 
are a really interesting aspect of fascism. And obviously not only in the Italian case, but as we know only too well in the case of German Nazism. And so again, it's, it's the ways in which uh, fascism in Italy attempted to break down democracy, hollow it out from the inside out, using democratic regimes and, and legislation, and not in an illegal way, but finding ways to eliminate democracy piece by piece. And the press was an, a, a tool for doing that. One of the things that Ascoli also addressed was this notion of that democracy is something that needs to be protected and people need to understand kind of how it works in order to keep it going. It seems so obvious that really the, the necessity to, to protect and strengthen democracy against fascism, that seems so straightforward, but it's another way of looking at the problem. And so when Ascoli came to the United States, he, he wrote a lot to warn Americans about the potential vulnerability of even American democracy to fascist tendencies. He toured in the 1930s with Dorothy Thompson around the nation talking about this very phenomenon that the most formidable enemy to fascism, according to Ascoli and others, was in fact a strong democracy. And so he spent a lot of time and effort in his writing, public writing, to remind Americans that we needed to learn more about democracy and what makes it work in order to fight potential threats such as fascism. As a history professor, I'm sure you constantly find yourself in the situation of saying, like, why can't people learn from history? Why can't we remember history? So what would be a key point, looking back at Italy in the 1930s, that you would want to point out to people and say, like, hey, this is something maybe you want to think about now? Fascism in Italy uh, did not occur in an international vacuum. And, and this seems, we need reminding of this, that, that there was a global environment, the conditions that gave rise to Italian fascism were not limited to the state. Fascism had a direct relationship to political, economic, and social conditions. And those were insecurities, economic crises, deep-seated divisions politically after first, the First World War. And so for me, when I remind my students as an historian, I want to remind them that the historical conditions can help us appreciate the environment that was created and these conditions that converged to, to put democracy at risk. And so if we can look not only at strengthening our democratic institutions and voting, my, my students to, you know, democracy is a verb and to vote, but really take a hard look at some of the conditions that are existing globally that are giving rise to an erosion of, of, of these democratic principles. And yes, we are going to talk about some Italian films that reflect what was going on in Italy at the time and also films from much later that looked back on this. Let's start with Roberto Rossellini's Rome Open City. This came in 1945. Italy's film industry had gone through a real difficult period and had to kind of rebuild itself uh, after the war. And this is when we have neorealism coming up. But this film in particular deals with what it would have felt like to be in Rome uh, in that time. Uh, yes. And it's, of course, you know, classic neorealist perspective. And, and, and one of the, for me, in my mind, the, the value of the film is not so much in the narrative, but in the conditions under which the script was developed and the film was made as you've just described it. 
In fact, I, I think it brings, as others have observed, I'm not alone in this regard, brings a, set, a real sense of the experience of what it would have been like in 19, well, filmed in 1944, but what it, would, what it was like. And so that reality or that neo-realistic perspective is really valuable, I think, for us. But also because I studied the American liberation of Italy in, in August 1943, and, and it was complicated, right? So the, the Americans go in, they, they liberate Italy, and I'm putting, you can't see me put liberate in quotes, but the, the complicated reality that follows, the, Rome Open City describes these interwoven stories of everyday Italians trying to struggle under fascist rule. And then um, when liberation comes, they have different struggles to face. So what I, I really appreciate about the film is the complexity and the complexity and of, of human behavior in this transition from living, having lived under fascism and then German occupation and then American liberation and, and the relationships that, that develop as a consequence. And what kind of things did you see in that film that kind of reflected some of what you were reading from these refugees that you were studying through your history? The divisions in, in Italy preceded World War II and, and I think have a lot to do with the rise of fascism. So the conditions in Italy itself are, I think, what the film brings forward, but also the underground, the resistance groups of World War II. Really, Italians had to either resist and, and fight back or flee. And, and in the case of the refugees I study, that was the choice that they were forced to make. And so I think it's this notion that People, no matter if they're, you know, when backed into a corner, people behave differently depending on, on, on our individual circumstances. And the film really brings this aspect of human behavior to light. While Rome Open City deals with Italy during the war, but there's a film, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, Ani de Facili, made in 1948 by Luigi Zampa. And he has a tendency to look at Italy before the war, so things leading into it. And what about that time period interests you? Uh, it's Anni Difficili, that's how we pronounce the t title. And the film was made in 1948, as you point out. Again, maybe because of my historical perspective, what I really appreciate uh, about the film's objective, the director's objective, is to try to get to the origin of fascism to begin. And so part of understanding where we are is understanding where we have been. And I think the film really works hard to unravel some of the, as I suggested earlier, the divisions that existed in Italy. There were major divisions between the North and the South. The Southern part of Italy was notoriously undereducated, impoverished, not industrialized, and so the Northerners in Italy looked down on the Southerners and that division, those divisions politically, economically, uh, socially, and culturally were divisions that Mussolini was able to, to take advantage of. And I think the film does a good job of, of looking at those, um, that aspect of Italian life. And his, history is all about choices and people make choices, right? So it's about understanding why people made the choices they make. Um, but I also appreciate that, that it takes more effort to go back. We're, we're already bombarded and dealing with all, everything that's coming at us from every direction in the moment. And so um, sort of pausing to look at history takes diligence. It sort of takes a different kind of rationale. And not everyone is prepared or wanting, willing to do that. I, I appreciate why. And do you feel that film has a maybe has more potential to help people remember history because it presents it in a compelling narrative structure and that maybe this is one way to help kind of keep history alive? 
Yes, most definitely. And we, you know, there's a field in history, film history, and, and, and but all, even those of us who don't call ourselves film historians will use film frequently in the classroom for the reasons you're describing. And, and also too, not merely the, the, the story that the director uh, bring, brings to life or if a, a film is based on a, a memoir or a novel. So the novelist may have already sort of laid out the narrative, but also historians look at the journey itself or production of the film, or in the case uh, Rome Open City, you may be aware Beth, that the path to the US premiere was also very interesting historically. The, the film premiered in New York in, in the first part of 1946, but the American release was censored. It resulted in a cut of about 15 minutes. Uh, there was sort of controversy about the film. So historians look not only, and, and wanna share films and discuss them, uh, not only because of the stories that are, are visually told, but also the history of the filmmaking itself and how, how it came um, to be. So another film, which was made from a, which was made from a greater historical perspective, 1979, is Christ Stopped at a Bowley mm -hmm. by Francesco Rossi. Mm -hmm. And what was it about this film that intrigued you from a historical context? This film is based on a memoir by Carlo Levi. Uh, Levi published a novel of the same a book rather of the same title in 1945. Carlo Levi was forced into exile because of his anti-fascist leanings. From, so from 1935 to 36, he traveled to a southern remote, more remote part of, of Italy. And this is what he describes in his um, book and what is portrayed in the film. So the, the film captures, as Levi described, the deep divisions in Italy that I had um, referenced earlier, uh, North versus South, industrial versus peasant, wealthy versus impoverished. And these conditions are the conditions under which fascism thrives. There, there's no question about it. And Levy and the character in the film come to terms with a different side or different sides of Italy and, and therefore start to appreciate, not in a positive way, but start to understand how in fact fascism came to be in Italy. And so th this is a film that I, I recommend for my students. It won a BAFTA in 1983 um, and, and opens our eyes to some of the conditions that gave rise to Italian fascism as Levy um, um, described them. Now, I don't know how reliable a source Wikipedia is, but I did find that uh, Rossi's father was a cartoonist who had been reprimanded for satirical drawings of Mussolini, which I find interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. That's what I mean by you know looking not only at the films themselves, but the history of the filmmakers. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's. Now, another film from the 1970s in which Italian filmmakers look back on this period of uh, the war and what led up to it is uh, Vittorio De Sica's The Garden of Finzi Contini. This one people may be well aware of because it was nominated for an Oscar and uh, got a, a decent release here in the U.S. And this is about Jewish persecution in the 1930s. I want to remind your listeners that the Jewish-Italian experience, really, we don't talk enough about that, frankly. We, we obviously discuss a lot the uh, Jewish-German experience and, and other parts of Europe, Eastern Europe as well. But Jewish families were directly impacted by uh, fascism. And this film, in a very sort of cynical way, shows how 
wealth is, was a factor that plays into those who were protected in some ways from fascism. So the Finzi Contini's are a Jewish Italian family who are very wealthy and they provide shelter for, for a while for other Jewish uh, Italians from Mussolini's anti-Semitic policies. So, so the filmmaker is really pointing to a couple of different things. One is the threat to Jewish Italians, which is important for us to be reminded of by fascism, but also this notion that wealth and pr privilege seem to buffer from some of these harsh realities of the regime. And by 1943, in the film, the film shows that all, all of the young Jewish youth who had been coming to this estate of the Finzi Contini's to play tennis or whatever they were doing are either arrested or are fighting in the war or have been drawn in. And so, and so the buffer that I described could only last for so long. And, I, and the, film, the film really demonstrates this well. So the sense of looking back on history continues. Uh, there's a 2018 film called Redland, which looks back to Italy in 1943. How do you look at this in the sense of how history persists for Italian filmmakers and how they continue to revisit it? What do you see in the way they're revisiting it? Are they finding new aspects to the stories from that time? How, as a historian, do you kind of read these more recent films? And Redland in particular is a good example of a young director who is looking at the more complicated or complex aspects of Italian fascism. In this particular film, the focus is on a different region of Italy that has maybe not received as much attention as it should right along the Italian-Yugoslav border. And the experience that's showed in the film is that it's, it can't predict how people are going to respond. And, and so I think in the case of Redland and, and more recent films about Italian fascism, like any nation, Italians are still reconciling that history. It, it takes a long time. It's, it's a painful process. And, and, and also, too, more and more aspects of the history we, we become revealed and then another generation has to manage that right so so it doesn't just belong to the generation of Italians who lived in fascism it belongs to contemporary Italians right now and how how they see their nation in and how that history has informed where they are today so the film does a good job of revealing that in my view and kind of to wrap up what would you kind of tell people in terms of how to view history? I mean, should we kind of go out of our way to find parallels that existed in the past? And how should we kind of read that stuff? Because there do seem to be similarities, but what is it that we should kind of be looking to? And, and what is it that maybe uh, obscures what the real issues are? Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're asking. And I and I, I would be uh, pretending if I were to say that, you know, historians do our best to be as objective as possible. We bring our biases in and, and we, I mean, by objective, you know, we can't possibly be objective entirely. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that. But there is, there is something called motivated reasoning. I don't know if you've heard that phrase or emotional reasoning. And historians work really hard to avoid that. So the concept of motivated or emotional reasoning is that we, we look for information that's gonna confirm a bias we have or, or gonna give us evidence for a particular outcome that we've already decided is the right outcome. And, and the work of historians is to interrupt motivated reasoning or emotional reasoning because we look at the documents, we look at the people 
who lived at the time, who left a record for us. And sometimes that can be an artifact, a thing, but most, most, mostly it's, it's, it's written or, or media in some sort of way. And we look at those documents, those voices that are recorded, and we really genuinely do our best to appreciate, to try to understand the experience of the people who lived at the time. And so we have to set aside our own biases. We have to set aside our emotional attachments if we really want to do good history. And, and that approach to films or any, any other um, um, documents that we're looking at is, is, I think, valuable for anybody, historians and non-historians alike. So we've talked about Max Ascoli, who is this refugee, who, after speaking to you about him and reading some of the, the quotes you sent me, I would love to see a film about him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. But one of the, the other quotes that I just wanted to mention before we wrap up is he talked about how democratic governments must be strong governments and that people kind of need to be aware of protecting that. Yeah. So, so. Um, one of Ascoli's thanks for thanks for mentioning Max Ascoli again. He's kind of um, I spend a lot of time with him if you if you know what I mean. And so I really I want his I want more people to be aware of, of what he said. So thanks, Beth. Ascoli was frustrated with with many of the ways the mess the, the writings of anti-fascists who tended to see Italian fascism in a, in a vacuum, who tended to be so focused on what happened in Italy that they didn't see that those conditions that gave rise to uh, fascism in Italy existed internationally. And so a lot of what he wrote about was the ways in which democracy anywhere in the world, including the United States, was vulnerable to fascist tendencies. But here's the thing. He was also very careful to point out that the most formal, the strongest enemy to fascism was a strong democracy. And so a lot of his writings reminded Americans to be more familiar with democratic institutions, to do what we can as Americans to um, promote those institutions, to protect those institutions, and to participate in democracy. And so it, it seems so obvious, but uh, the Italian experience really sh shows us that another way of looking at the problem of fascism is to do whatever we can to defend democracy. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to talk about Italy and Italian films. And I'm going to leave you with the task of thinking about making a script for Max Ascoli. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm inspired. You inspire me, Beth. I'm, I might have to wait until, you know, the semester is over here. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I really have enjoyed this chatting with you this, today. Thank you. That was Kimber Quinney, who teaches history at Cal State San Marcos. Now I speak with Antonio Iannotta, Artistic Director of the San Diego Italian Film Festival. Antonio, I interviewed Kimber Quinney from Cal State San Marcos, and we talked about an article that she had written in 2016, and we also decided to discuss some films from Italy that deal with not just the time during fascism, but also the years leading up to it. And I just wanted to get your input also, because you are the artistic director here of the San Diego Italian Film Festival. 
but I want to start with one film that uh, is just a remarkable film all around, and that's Rome Open City. Francesco! Yeah. Francesco, i tedeschi il fascista! Yes, uh, Rome Open City by Roberto Rossellini is the starting point, even though we can also talk about that, about neorealism, the starting point with uh, a new wave of uh, uh, not just Italian movies, but movies that deal with uh, reality. What's going on in our lives? What's going on in the life of Italians during World War II and during the, the last year and a half when Rome was occupied by the Nazis along with the fascists after the peace with the Allies after uh, September the 8th, 1943. So uh, Roberto Rossellini, that let's not forget, did several movies during fascism, uh, finally had the opportunity to do something that uh, he really wanted to. That was a movie that could move the conscience of an entire nation that was dealing with a dictatorship, was dealing with very hard times and wanted to change and wanted to react and wanted to resist. So of course, it's a very incredible and beautiful movie that mix up different type of techniques it's, it's a movie with a very important script. Even though we're in the street of Rome, we cannot, uh, we couldn't be in, in the studios of Cinecittà that at that time were, uh, were used by the uh, Americans uh, as, as, as a big, you know, uh, facility uh, for logistics. So, you know, uh, Rossellini uh, also used professional actors and also people from the streets um, very realistic stories based on reality, but also a very moving soundtrack. So we have all these elements that play together to create a movie that really is dealing on what's going on right now at that moment in Italian, in Italy and with uh, Italian lives at the moment. You know, it was, uh, it was the reaction to all the entertainment movies, the so-called white telephone movies during fascism. And, you know, you and I share a big passion with entertainment entertainment and also genre movies, because we believe, you know, that through genre, we can also tell political stories and stories that are so meaningful and important. Uh, I don't know, Star Wars is another movie about resistance, if you want. But at that time, 1945, the war was just over. Huh? Uh, it was really important to try to take a picture at reality. And in fact, in that movie, uh, we can also see, you know, Rome bombed. Huh? Open city means uh, we cannot touch Rome because it's such an important uh, historical and art uh, city that uh, we shouldn't bomb Rome. That, that is the meaning of open city, of one of the meanings. But in fact, Rome was bombed. And so 
you know, it's also an extraordinary document, document huh? uh, 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 about that particular period of time. So for sure, movies that deal with fascism and that deal with uh, partisans and resistance, we always should start from Rome Open City. Now, Rome Open City deals with Italy during the war and just right after, but uh, director Luigi Zampa did a couple of films that looked back to the 20s and 30s to kind of see what kind of an environment led to the rise of fascism. So what do his films kind of tell us about this time in history? Yeah, that is also very, very important, especially with uh, Anni Difficili, uh, I, I don't know if there is an international title, Hard, Difficult Years, deals exactly with the moment that is very, very important, that is 1922, that is the beginning of, uh, of the power by Benito Mussolini and, uh, and, uh, and the fascism. Let's be clear and let's remind ourselves and everybody that uh, that grab of power was legal. Huh? The king of Italy asked Mussolini to create a new government. And Mussolini said, oh, thank you very much. I'm going to do it. And then very quickly, but step by step, in a democratic fashion, if you want, he transformed you know, the kingdom of Italy in a dictatorship. That, that is really important to understand because uh, that process from legality to Ill illegality or from a democratic process into a fascist dictatorship process was very admired by Hitler. And in fact, Hitler did the same 10 years after. He won the election, he created the government, and then he transformed the government with violence in the same way that Mussolini did into a dictatorship. Why this is important? It's important because that reflects on the everyday lives of the characters in the movie by Zampa. Uh, these characters need to, do, need to make a choice. If I don't sign for, uh, you know, to belong to the party, I'm gonna lose my job. If I lose my job, uh, my family is gonna starve. So what I'm gonna do? These are the difficult choices, but what is really more relevant uh, for, for us today is to see that uh, uh, authoritarian uh, governments really can start in a very democratic process. We shouldn't, we shouldn't forget that. Huh? We tend to remember, ah, yes, Mussolini and Hitler, they were uh, dictators. They, they became dictators. It's different. It was not a coup. It was a legal process. And also the legal transforma the transformation of a nation in uh, adepts to a cult was a gradual process. Huh? So these movies are very relevant today uh, because you know, also our democracy is in danger. And we see that with so many signs and so we always need to remind ourselves that we need to fight the same fights that those characters in Rome Open City or in Anni Difficili had to fight. And how do you think 
films are able to kind of remind us of this history in a way that can make it kind of relevant to an to a, a generation that's coming years after these events have happened? I think uh, through the power of uh, storytelling. Uh, we, we, we don't probably as a species, I don't know, we don't like uh, uh, to, 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 hold, to cling on bad memories. We like to forget, we like to move on, we like to deny. Uh, think, let's think about what's going on with the pandemic uh, here in, 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 in the United States, but also in Italy, where now, right now, in this precise moment, we're dealing with the second wave and, and we just, we forgot what happened in March and April. Mm? So I think it's the same process. So the power of stories, the power of storytelling, the fact that through a story, not just through, uh, let me remind you what happened during fascism. No, through the story and the empathy of characters and their lives, we can connect emotionally and then rationally on what happened. This was my way, my personal way. I love history, but I learned how to love history through movies. I first love movies, I first love stories, and then I went back and tried to understand more. But uh, 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 today, still, the story of Anni Difficili, it's very simple to follow and to, and to create an emotional bond with it, the same with the Rome Open City, the same, the same with the great movies. And so, yes, I think it's, uh, it's really, really important. I, I would, uh, I, I, every time I show these movies with my students, you know, uh, teenagers here in San Diego, that at first they, they think, um, professor, I don't know what you're talking about. But then when we watch the movie together, then we know. And then I know into their eyes, into their hearts, that they care. Because these are powerful stories that are about humanity. And so, yeah, I think there is a, a very strong role that movies can play uh, uh, even today. Now, these first two films we talked about were made in the 40s. But what went on in Italy in the 30s and the 40s is still something that filmmakers decades later were fascinated by. So we have a film like The Garden of Finzi Contini, which was made in the 1970, which looks back to the 1930s in Jewish persecution. Yeah, and, um, and yeah, especially during the 70s, I think that the 70s is a decade where we have so many movies dealing with stories that are important about about fascism. Why? Because, you know, fascism, that 20 years of dictatorship is still an open wound for, for Italians. It's where we really started as a modern country. Just after World War II and just after the, the, the fascist, uh, you know, dictatorship fell, finally fell, we became a republic. Huh? We, were, we were a monarchy before. And so, you know, we became a republic on the ashes of, of that tragedy. So to reflect about that, uh, it, it's still relevant today, especially in the 70s. Why in the 70s? Because the 70s uh, were years, very, very hard years as well, very difficult years 
they, they are known as the years of lead, gli anni di piombo. There were uh, several terrorist organizations uh, in, the, in the country, operating in the country. And again, this may ring a bell for this country, the United States, uh, where, also, where also there are terrorist organizations within the country trying to, you know, to, 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 to uh, subvert the establishment. Uh, and so during those years, the 70s, we have uh, a bunch of incredible movies reflecting on that open wound. One of these is, uh, yes, Il Giardino dei Finzi Contini by, by De Sica, uh, 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 that, is, that is especially about uh, a, a, a Jewish family and how, uh, and, and how, you know, they were treated during, during fascism. But we also have, uh, we also have Christ Stop a Deboli, huh? another of the movies that are very uh, political by Francesco Rosi with Gianmaria Volonté, based on the masterpiece of Carlo Levi. And, 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 and also, we, we, also have, we also have a special day by Ettore Scola uh, with Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. And, and also Amarcord by Federico Fellini is 1973 that reflects on his childhood. The 1930s. can hear other bells ringing in our, in our ears, huh? because uh, the, the ignorance and the stupidity of uh, certain type of uh, postures and gestures and policies that uh, in the moment uh, can be treated very seriously with you know, certain distance, and uh, Fellini does that uh, beautifully, it's just, you know, a bunch of uh, idiots and we can laugh, you know, our, you know, our heart off because, you know, it's really ridiculous. But we need to have that amount of time to do that and also the craftsmen of an artist like uh, Federico Fellini. But yes, Beth, I think the 70s are, you know, a very interesting period of time where we can see so many movies dealing with our mother trauma that was how we allowed to have Benito Mussolini as our dictator for 20 years. Huh? Uh, and we shouldn't stop asking this question. And do you feel that there's any film that really kind of gets to the heart of that question that finds some kind of answer to how that happened? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question. I wouldn't pick one movie. I would pick a, a series of movies that can frame the situation from different angles. So, for example, A Special Day that I mentioned before is a very, is a very dramatic, serious movie rooted 
in a very specific uh, moment of our history. The special day, una giornata particolare of the title is exactly May the 3rd, 1938, when Hitler came to Rome and Mussolini and the whole country had to, you know, to, 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 to revere uh, the, 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 the man. And so while the big history is happening, also a very personal, intimate story unfolds. We are in this uh, palazzo, in this building in Roma, where Sofia Loren portrays uh, this very unglamorous character. Uh, that he, she's a wife of a, a fascist guy, uh, uh, a wife and a mother of, now I can remember, six or seven children. So she, as a woman, she, she, she's fitting, you know, the role that she needs to fit, wife and mother and housewife. She can't be anything else. And in that day, in a few hours, uh, a, a friendship, it's a, a kind of relationship unfolds with this gay liberal radio broadcaster played by Marcello Mastroianni. Mm? Uh, and Marcello Mastroianni is trying to show Sofia Loren that she's more than that. She's more than a devout mother of uh, fascist, uh, you know, kids and, and a wife that uh, has to make love to, the, to, to, his, to his husband anytime he wants. She's more than that. Huh? And so they try to understand each other. And so while the big history is happening, this very important story of uh, uh, two human beings that are trying to understand each other and themselves much better is also happening. And so I think, you know, that uh, A Special Day is one of my favorite movies uh, uh, that deal with uh, fascism, because you really understand that it's always about your own choices. You, if you, if you um, understand that it's about yourself, that, that what's happening at the political level is always about, you know, what can happen in your personal life, well, you understand that you need to make a choice. You understand that you need to stand up for something. Either you go and vote or you say to your husband, enough. I don't want to have another child. Huh? I want to have some time for myself. Huh? And so, you know, this is really, really important to understand the relationship between the big picture hmm, that sometimes it seems so far away from us and our intimate life that is always more important, right? So we think that our own choices are more important. Yes, they are, but in relationship on what's going on in the big picture. And so, you know, the film by Ettore Scola, that by the way, was a collaborator and a very, very close friend of Federico Fellini, is real, um, probably uh, perfect to start, uh, you know, a conversation or a series of movies about, uh, uh, about Italy in that period of time. Now, there's a film from 2018 called Redland, which is a young filmmaker. And I believe you also have a film that you're thinking of, of scheduling for the Italian Film Festival that is a younger director. What are these younger directors looking back on this time finding? Are they seeing things with different eyes and, and uncovering different themes or different perspectives? I believe that there are so many stories that need to be 
uh, that they want to tell and need to be told. And these young directors, uh, uh, they want to tell stories that, are, that uh, were never told before. And so there is a big potential in that. Uh, Redland is a movie that I haven't seen yet, uh, but it, it, it sounds very interesting. But the other movie that you were mentioning is a documentary by uh, two directors, Gab Gabriella Romano and Fabrizio Laurenti from 2020. And the title is Baci Rubati, Stolen Kisses. And it's about the LGBT uh, community, or maybe community is not the right word, LGBT people in Italy during fascism, fascism that they were, uh, of course, you know, they were living their life in, in a very difficult uh, moment because they were deported. Mm? Uh, and so uh, the stories that are told in the movies are not just about the struggle of their life, because they invented all types of secret moves and secret behavior to still uh, live their life, to still meet with their lovers huh? in, the, in movie theaters, for example, to still trying to pursue happiness. So it's a beautiful story told through the voice, uh, the voices of those people, real people that we never heard the, uh, before, before now. So it's a very important documentary, actually, that I really hope we can screen uh, at the Italian Film Festival in 2021, hopefully in person, and hopefully, you know, sharing some, some kisses to each other and some hugs. But it's a very important story because, um, because it's about happiness. Even though uh, people are um, uh, uh, deported, you can still find a way to, 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 to live your life, you know, to, to love, huh? like we see in Rome Open City. Huh? One of the, uh, in Rome Open City, we see Anna Magnani, pregnant, just the day before she wants to get married. Huh? So you see that also during very difficult times, uh, 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 the power of love and human, you know, and humanity is still stronger. And so th that is the positive and the silver lining also of the situation we're living right now. Uh, we, we really need to believe that, uh, that uh, as human beings are stronger than this. And storytelling through movies really teach us that uh, 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 this is true. Huh? We're not just dreamers. And would there be any other titles that you'd want to add to this list of films that maybe give some insight into that period of time in Italy when fascism did rise? Uh, I mentioned before uh, Amarcord by Fellini, and I really believe uh, that that is the other title we should never uh, forget. The movie is about Fellini's childhood. Uh, let's remember that this year is the centennial of, uh, of Fellini's birth. Uh, Fellini was, was born 100 years ago. 100 years ago was 1920. So when he was, a, when, when he was a, a young boy, there was fascism. So Fellini was fascist because he was, you know, raised as a young fascist. So in, in this movie, Namarkord is recreating his hometown, Rimini, in the studios of Cinecittà and thinking about all these childhood memories. Huh? 
the way he was, he was raised. And so, as I said, there is a very uh, funny, satirical portrait of that Italy through the eyes of a, of a boy. Mm? So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a type of movie that is completely different from maybe all the others that we mentioned that are all very important, but I think we shouldn't uh, forget about uh, this masterpiece by Fellini because it gives us also the idea of, uh, and it teaches us ways on how we should detach ourselves from the present moment. Huh? and also see things through uh, the lens of, uh, of history. Huh? This is gonna be part of the past one day. And so we can, we can still fight. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just be pessimistic because you know, life around us is, is hard. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think that we have, uh, uh, we have a nice filmography and we maybe we should, we should do something uh, uh, about it, huh? maybe we should do a, a film series about uh, about Italy and uh, fascism with these titles. What do you think? I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for talking about all these films and inspiring me to want to see a film series like this. No, thank you, thank you. It's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Next week, I have a spooky treat. It's a Halloween double dare featuring a pair of short radio dramas written from quarantine and invested with a love of horror cinema by Michael Miserani. So I hope you'll take the dare and listen alone in the dark on Halloween. So till our next film, or maybe horror fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.